Amen. May be seated. I need a couple of volunteers to hand out some study sheets. Uh, I need to keep one <laughs> just in case. Thank you. Thank you very much. And while those sheets are being handed out, let's turn in our Bibles to our reading this evening, uh, which is going to be First and Second Thessalonians. First and Second Thessalonians. Two letters from the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica. And uh, these, well, there we go. And to find them here. These letters were written about the same time, very close together, uh, and written by the Apostle Paul at while he was uh, in the second missionary journey and while he was in the city of Corinth. And he spent quite a bit of time in Corinth. Corinth, uh, Paul may have been discouraged for a time in his ministry in Corinth, but Corinth is where God appeared to Paul and said, Be of good cheer, don't lose heart. I have many people in this city. Oh, before I, well, I'm going to get distracted. By the way, what is, what is God talking about? He's talking about the doctor of election. I have many people. Paul, you don't know who those people are. They haven't come forward yet. They haven't raised their hand in your revival meetings. But I know who they are because I've chosen them for salvation. Again, the sovereignty of God is not a hindrance to evangelism. It's the foundation of evangelism. It's a foundation stone of evangelism. Anyway, Paul spends another year and a half at Corinth, and it's during this year-and-a-half, two-year period that he writes these two letters to the Thessalonians. Uh, more than likely, he's writing these letters to the Thessalonians because he has sent Timothy to visit them, and Timothy has come back with a, a report on the status of the Thessalonian church and questions they have and issues that they're facing and, and so forth. And uh, you can see from this uh, study sheet that some of those issues that the church uh, faced. The story of the founding of the church in Thessalonica is found in Acts chapter 17. You can read it. It's not very long. We do get a sense, though, of what it was like. There were people, after Paul preached in the synagogue, which was his usual practice, there were people that responded greatly to him, very positively to his message, but there were those also uh, who turned away in unbelief, and then a short time later, they began to make trouble. And Paul had to leave Thessalonica very quickly in the darkness, in the middle of the night, basically, uh, leaving, leaving the city or the town of Thessalonica. Actually, it was a, a, a Roman city, and it was a fairly important city uh, in, in that region. He writes Second Thessalonians in response, in part, to increased persecution in the church, against the church. You can tell from Acts 17, there's, there, on the part of those who believed, there was a great response. There was heartfelt faith. And he mentions this, particularly in, in the early verses of the Thessalonian letters. He refers to their faith. Actually, he uses those words from 1 Corinthians 13, 
about the, the abiding uh, gifts of God's grace, now abide faith, hope, and love. He doesn't use the same order, but you'll see them in, in, this let, in, this, uh, in the text of these letters, faith, hope, and love. Uh, they responded greatly, but they immediately faced persecution. And in 2 Thessalonians, it seems that that persecution has gotten worse. And that's one of the issues that Paul addresses, trying to encourage them in the time of persecution. You also notice, of course, that the recurring theme in the letter is the second coming of Christ. In 1 Thessalonians, he talks about the coming of Christ, the catching up of the church. And this is where you might have some questions after we read, what does Paul mean by that? What about these different views? We're not going to get into a huge debate on the different views of the second coming, but when we read this, be thinking, how does this inform my understanding of the second coming of Christ and what it is and how it unfolds? Similarly, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul is dealing with a problem uh, that apparently uh, came up in the church in that in some way they had gotten the idea that the day of the Lord had already come. Imagine if somebody started teaching you that, or maybe you found a letter that supposedly came from Paul that said, by the way, the day of the Lord's already happened, and you missed it. Ooh. Well, that could shake your faith, at least your understanding of, of what the Bible teaches, but Paul sets that, cor- and he corrects that false understanding. And in so doing, he talks about a very interesting circumstances and an interesting personage. He calls him the man, of, in some translations, the man of sin, in others, it's the man of lawlessness. In the uh, ESV, it's the man of lawlessness. And uh, we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit more about that. Well, that's a, a little introduction. Before we read, let's uh, ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Father, Your Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words to the churches. Your Spirit preserved the text of these letters for the church, and and as they are included in the canon, in the, the, the authoritative books of the Scriptures, we now turn to them, and the same Spirit open our eyes and give us understanding, help us to understand the text and the meaning of it. Help us to apply it to our hearts, uh, to be ready to not only understand, but to believe and to listen and apply these words to us. Encourage us, Lord, as the great theme that comes in both of these letters fixes our attention on the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what a great day. The blessed hope of the church is that coming of that coming of Christ, uh, when the dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are alive in Christ will rise to meet him in the air. Teach us now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. 
We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice them, faith, love, and hope. Hmm. Sounds familiar. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, that we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles 
that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as, lo as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, 
and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need for, to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept 
blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ begin, be with you. Here ends First Thessalonians. Did you notice that there's not only that passage that talks about the coming of the Lord, there's the next chapter has a passage that talks about the Lord coming as a thief in the night. You've probably all seen that famous movie from back in the 60s, Thief in the Night. But did you notice the way that Paul puts it? The, the coming of the thief in the night is for those who don't believe. That's not so. The coming of the Lord is not supposed to take us by surprise. It's supposed to it, it, be ready. And that's Paul's point. Live in the light of that second coming of Christ and be ready. You're people of the light, not of the dark. It's going to be a surprise to the people who are in the dark. But it shouldn't be a surprise to us. We should be expecting it. We should be ready for it. And did you notice also in several of the other passages, several of the other passages, Paul in passing references the second coming of Christ in, in two of the benedictions that he has in this, in this letter. He mentions the coming of the Lord, that you would be presented at the time of his coming and so forth, that you would be found faithful at his coming. So there's, there's, several, there's two sections in this letter that deal with the second coming, uh, but also uh, a couple of smaller, shorter references in the context of those blessings. Uh, this seems to be, it seems to have been a theme in Paul's teaching, even though he was with the Thessalonians only a relatively short period of time. It seems that this was a, a point that he had taught extensively. And then I love how he says, we don't need to write to you about this, and then he proceeds to write, you know, eight or nine more verses about it. Uh, we don't need to. Well, what he's saying is we've taught you about this already. Perhaps you've forgotten. Perhaps it's become a little fuzzy. But so we'll review like a good teacher does. Uh, but uh, apparently he had spent some time in Thessalonica teaching about the second coming of Christ. So before we read 2 Thessalonians, are there any questions about 1 Thessalonians? Anything? Yes, Tim. I think he would have said it about all the faithful believers. Now, Paul has this concept that at the coming of Christ, it's, it's, it's almost like a, a similar concept that we have with Christ himself and his church in that beautiful statement, here am I and the children you have given to me. It's as it's, it's Christ has been, is now, he has been given all of his children, all of God's children, and now he's presenting them back to the Father. And it's almost as if Paul believes at the second coming or perhaps at the judgment, he will be, he will be there with all the people who heard the gospel from him and believed and showed, demonstrated in their lives, uh, their faithfulness uh, through the way that they lived. Notice the repeated praises for the Thessalonians. Uh, twice in this letter, he uses that formula of faith, hope, and love. 
which he you know, really lays out in in first Thess, uh, first Corinthians thirteen, uh, particularly love. Um, so he's 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 praising them, and remember, this is a church that endured almost from the very beginning, endured persecution. You picked up the references to the persecution that they were suffering. There, there's even more in Second Thessalonians. Um, so yeah, I think he would have said that about all the churches who were being faithful. He might have had some doubts about Corinth. <laughs> I don't know. Corinth was a, a tough, a tough place, and uh, you get that not only in in Paul's discouragement when he is in Corinth um, and facing opposition, uh, and the Lord has to encourage him by saying, I have many people in this city. Uh, but you also reading, particularly 1 Corinthians, and a little a little less in 2 Corinthians, but this was, Corinth was a church that was, just had problem on problem, on top of problem, and issues among the people, and, and sin, gross sin being tolerated uh, in the congregation. And uh, you get a very different sense as he writes to the Thessalonians. Um, and, and also notice that when he praises them for their response to the gospel, and their response goes far more than just making a profession of faith, it also is demonstrated in the way that they have received the gospel and are living according to the gospel. He says, do it more and more. We never stop growing. We never stop growing in grace. I'm mature enough. I, I've, reached, I've reached perfection, right? I can stop growing. No. More and more and more. Yes. I see that hand. Yeah. You think, you think God can use Satan? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think he's giving credit. I, but, yeah, I understand your point. Why, why talk about the middleman? You know, why talk? Because Satan... Satan, as terrible and powerful as he might be, is still a dog on a leash, right? He can bark and snap, and he sounds fierce, and he can damage you if he bites you. But he's on a chain, and he can only go so far as God allows him to go. Story of Job, right? Satan, you can do this, but you can't do that. You you can't go beyond what I give you. And, And so I think... What is behind that statement is probably an understanding that God used the evil of Satan in some way, providentially, overruling that evil for God's own purposes, but something evil had been done that prohibited or prevented Paul from visiting uh, uh, the Thessalonians again. And uh, he attributes it to Satan, but he would always understand that God is the ultimate cause and that Satan was merely the instrument. And probably Satan used some human agent as an instrument as well to prevent him. Um, God is in control of all things, as we read about his providence. Uh, Nothing, no creature moves or is moved apart from his fatherly care. And... um, Father, fatherly uh, control, uh, but he does, and we see it in Scripture. We he does use Satan 
to accomplish his own purposes. I mean, if Paul had been able to visit the Thessalonians, we might not have had these letters. He had to write the letters because he was prevented from going there. So God rules and overrules. Yes, Rudy. Boy, I thought the other chapters would be the big... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is a good question. That's a really good... um, uh, Who killed both the Lord... He's talking about the Jews... And, and he's talking about their, their persecution in Thessalonica bears remarkable similarities to the persecution that the churches in Judea had suffered from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets. Notice it goes before the Lord uh, and, and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. What is that wrath? Is that what your question is? What What is Paul talking about in that wrath that's coming upon him? Well, if we take the date of writing, uh, this is comes at the end of the 40s, beginning of the 50s, in that first century period. So it's before the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., However, Paul might have that in mind because, remember, Jesus has already pronounced the judgment against, Judah, against Israel. Woe to you. He says, every stone in this temple will be cast down. Jesus has already declared a coming judgment against unbelieving Israel. Now, Paul may be referring to that, understanding that it is, it's something that has been declared, even though the actual destruction, but there were also hardships, and, and, and the Jews were all, always being harassed and, and, you know, by the Romans. This was not a healthy relationship. <laughs> uh, the, the Jews hated the Romans, and the Romans really hated the Jews. Uh, they saw Palestine as a completely problematic province of the empire, and they, if you were assigned to be the Roman governor of Palestine— that was not a good assignment. That's where they sent the failures. It's like being in the Air Force and getting sent to Alaska or something like that. You know, it's like the, the furthest outpost and the most troublesome. If anyone's from Alaska, I apologize. But, uh, but that's, I think that's what he has in mind. Ultimately, it does come to that destruction of, of Jerusalem in 70 AD. But that is still 18, 19 years in the future from when Paul writes this. He may have that in mind based on what Jesus has said. But he, he may also be referring to the difficult times uh, under the Romans. And uh, the Jews, you know, periodically rebelled, and their rebellions were put down very fiercely. Um, so, but he, again, notice how he's attributing this to God's providence. So whatever troubles the Jews are having, uh, he attributes it to their to God's justice. Do you think a passage like this should be used to promote anti-Semitism? That we shouldn't really be concerned about the Jews? Well, I refer you to the classic passage in the Bible, Romans 9, 10, and 11, three chapters dealing with our understanding of God's work among the Jews. And Paul says there, he starts that out, in spite of everything that he had suffered at the hands of the Jews, How does Paul start that out? 
I have great sorrow. He says, I wish if it were possible, I would trade my own salvation for the salvation of my people. He says also, they are beloved for the sake of the, of the patriarchs, the, the promises, the covenants, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are our patriarchs too. But they are enemies because of Christ. We live with that contradiction we live with that contradiction. And in this passage, he's focusing on the enemy part. But Paul still longs to bring the gospel and see the Jewish people come to Christ. I, I hope that was a long answer to a really short question. But I hope it helped. Hope it helped. In the back, yes, I see. I, I'm sorry I didn't hear that clearly. It's my fault. My hearing aids are... Hearing aids can be a problem, those of you who have them. They, can, they amplify, but they also distort. So I'm, I apologize. Could you say that again? Uh, because there's a balance, and there's, there's not a contradiction. God's sovereignty guides us and leads us in our sanctification, but it guides us and leads us in our obedience to his word. And so he can instruct, and he also... Uh, he can instruct us, and we bear responsibility, but he also is the one who gives grace. So in the same passage where Paul says, make your calling and election sure, he says also, well, it, it's not the same passage, but he said he's talking about that salvation is a gift of God. And yet he says, God saved you for good works. You have a responsibility. There's a, there's a balance there. They're, they're not contradictory. They, they might seem contradictory, and we like to kind of pose that contradiction between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. But man's responsibility operates under the sovereignty of God, and man is still accountable. All through the Bible, we see, we see man being held accountable for his actions because man was created as a moral agent. And you say, did man have free choice? Adam had free choice. Look what he did with it. But our choice operates within our nature. And if the nature is fallen, the choices that we make are bound by that nature, which is why the Bible also tells us that the leopard can't change his spots. The Ethiopian can't change his skin. So you who, are you who are accustomed to do evil cannot suddenly change and do good. You are operating, when you choose evil, you are operating in your own will, but your will is sinful, and it operates under the umbrella of God's sovereignty to accomplish his purposes. Same thing with urging people to do what is right. You don't have that monochrome sinful will now. You have a new nature as Christians. And in that new nature, aided by the grace of God, you actually have freer choice. But it still operates under the sovereignty of God, under that umbrella. Uh, it's, it's, it's not 
it's not quite correct to say, I don't think, as, as many Calvinists often say, that man has no choice. Man consciously makes decisions. You make a choice on Sunday morning to come to church, or sometimes you make a choice not to come to church. You make that choice consciously in your own mind. What you don't realize is that the heart of the king is turned by God like a course of water. And God is working sovereignly in and through your choices because he's already ordained them. Now, if you have trouble with that, let me challenge you. I'll try to do it as gently as I can but it's going to be very blunt. If you think there's a contradiction between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, your vision of God is too small. You need to expand your understanding of God. Sorry if that came across a little strong, but it's true. Again, I'm not, you know, people have been asking this question for centuries. <laughs> You're not the first. But uh, it, it does come down to a balanced biblical view of responsibility and sovereignty. You know, I, I, uh, there's a book I would recommend. I think it was written by J.I. Packer. Um, well, there's a book by uh, a man named A.W. Pink on the sovereignty of God. But A.I. Packer deals with this uh, issue of responsibility and sovereignty. I think it's in the book called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. And he tackles this issue in the context of evangelism. Now, I recommend that, that book to you as well. Um, I saw another hand. I saw a hand over here. Yes. 411. Yeah. I think in, in minding your own affairs, he's really got in mind more like uh, sticking your nose into... Uh, another person's business, giving them unwarranted advice. Uh, and also, I, I think he also has in mind gossiping and, you know, trying to find out the real story behind that problem that that family down the street's having. And I, we really want to hear the juicy gossip about that. Yeah, uh, when you evangelize, you should, you, you probably will, well, may. Well, maybe. Maybe the Holy Spirit's made them ready to hear it, too. Um, I, when I was in college, I went out to a, a family, visited a family uh, with a friend of mine. And we went out to, uh, in response to a, this, the man's brother had asked us to go visit him. Uh, he was not a believer. So we went to visit him, and... I was never more disappointed because he, 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 you could tell he was, he did not want us there. Yeah. If we had thought that this verse applied there, we probably wouldn't have gone, but we went and we talked and the, the TV was on. He wouldn't turn it off. The kids were climbing all over the place and, and everything. It was, it was a tough, tough visit. About two years later, we talked to our friend who had asked us to go call on his brother. He said, so my brother made a profession of faith, and he said the night when you guys visited him was when he really started thinking about it. 
every outward indication told us that he he was completely closed and just as soon would usher us out the front door as quickly as possible. And yet, what happened? God took what we said, he took his word, and he drove it into that man's conscience and used it to awaken his need to repent and believe, and he did. Um, It certainly wasn't our... We were instruments, but boy... By any outward experience, you know, evaluation, we had completely failed in our in our mission. But a couple of years later, we found out that God used it. Okay, we need to move along to Second Thessalonians. I have a feeling there will be some questions on this Second Thessalonians as well. Second Thessalonians chapter one. Paul, Savannah, and Timothy. Notice the same three names. And uh, t- notice that Paul lists Silvanus and Timothy as co-authors with him. That's an interesting uh, aspect of this. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called god or object or of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. 
Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to you, to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Finally, brothers, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing uh, and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, as you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the God of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, this is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And here we end Second Thessalonians. Notice how he, he returns right at the end there. He returned to that theme about not being busybodies, which I think goes with the first Thessalonian warning about minding your own business, to, to, 
go back to your question. Don't be busybodies. Um, and and by the way, while not being busybodies, you should be earning your own keep. <laughs> and if you will not work, apply at the lo- local welfare office. Oh, no. If a man will not work, neither should he eat. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and so the, the passage in Second Thessalonians really amplifies and expands a bit on what he kind of hinted at in First Thessalonians. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't subtle in Second Thessalonians. So, and that's really, you know, I mean, apart from their confusion about the coming of the day of the Lord and had it already come, this is, this is the only real problem that he faces with the Thessalonians, that some of them are lazy and idle. And being busybodies, and he has to, he warns them very specifically about that. And very strongly, he says, if they don't listen, have nothing to do with that. Don't treat them like enemies, treat them like a brother who's strayed from the path, but you kind of push them off to the side if they're willfully ignoring uh, the instructions of Scripture. Um, notice also he can, he, he has this reference, whether by word from us or by letter, by our teaching or by our letter. And, and Paul is understanding his apostolic teaching is authoritative for the ter- church. And his letters are, are, have apostolic authority for the church. They are to be received as God's word, as scripture. Uh, so that's, that's an interesting note there. Okay, are you all clear about the uh, day of the Lord then? Yeah. Uh, you know, somehow they got this idea that the day of the Lord had already come. Um, notice in First Thessalonians, he's saying you should be expecting the day of the Lord. You should not be asleep. You should be awake. You should be looking for this and ready for it, by the way, and, and you're ready in the way you live and and, and persevering in life and faith and so forth. And in Second Thessalonians, he has to say, but not quite yet. There's something that has to happen before the day of the Lord comes. So he's kind of, you have to take both of those passages together. And by the way, part of being awake and alert and not being taken by surprise by the day of the Lord is understanding what has to happen. Um. And what, one of the things, that, well, what he talks about is this rise of a man of lawlessness, a rebellion that has to take place. And he also mentions there is something he doesn't name, but a person, he, he uses the, the masculine pronoun, he is preventing this from taking place right now. He's holding him back, even though there is this secret power of lawlessness that is at work, even now in the first century, that's being restrained by an opposing force. Well, Paul, I think when he talks about this restraining force, he's talking about the, the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Spirit restrain. part of his work is the restraining of sin. Uh, the man of lawlessness, as his name implies— gives free reign, and people will love him. Let me warn you. I'm one of those people who don't think that the man of lawlessness was the emperor Nero. 
I, I think it's something yet to come because this man of lawlessness is destroyed by the appearing of Christ. Paul says that in his letter here. People are going to love him. The unbelievers are going to love this guy because he says, whatever you want to do, do it. You don't have to live by God's law. There, there's, if any of you doubts, doubt, the power of lawlessness is clearly at work. And it's had a tremendous effect on our society, on our world. It's not just America, it's the world. Just in, in a relatively short period of time, are you saying that Jesus is coming back this week, next week, this year, next year? I don't know. In fact, I would say no, because I'm, I'm looking for what has to happen first that Paul lays out in 2 Thessalonians. However, I want to be ready. Part of being ready is living as God wants us to live. Part of being ready is to understand what's going on around us and resist Satan. Resist. Christians are called to be resistance fighters. We are not conformed to this world. The pressure to conform is going to get stronger and stronger and stronger, but we cannot be conformed to this world. Well, I, our time is up. I kind of went a long time answering questions in the previous letter, but if you have questions about this, you know, write them down, send them to me. Well, I'll, I'll try to answer them. Um, uh, notice again, though, his gratefulness for the Thessalonian people. I could, I could echo Paul's thankfulness for the Thessalonians in my thankfulness for God's work among you. But let God be praised in all things. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to your people. We thank you for the testimony of the Thessalonians, how they received the word of God with gladness, turned from idols to worship the true and living God how they remained faithful under persecution. Yes, there were some problems with them and laziness, idleness, and we pray that we would not only take the compliments, but take the admonitions to heart. Pray, Father, that you would keep us faithful, that you would keep us obedient to your word. Help us to be aware of the times that we live in and help us to be always ready for what you have in store for us. We long for the appearing of Jesus Christ. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, you know, I'm going to just suspend the last hymn because we are really running along here. And I'm just going to close with the benediction from Revelation uh, chapter 1. Sorry, Tim, I didn't mean to cut you out there. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, 
To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>